The Military Officers Association of America is a nonprofit organization protecting service members' earned pay and benefits. We are the largest military service organization and among the largest veteran service organizations with 350,000 members who together advocate on behalf of all uniformed service members for a strong national defense. Welcome to the first episode of the Never Stop Serving podcast series, and I'm your host, Olivia Nunn. Today, I have a colleague and friend and teammate, Dan Mary, who serves as the Vice President of Government Relations. And here, we're going to talk about why military pay remains a top priority. So let's get right to it. Let's jump in and let's talk about why money matters. So Dan, thanks so very much for joining me here today and getting after money because money matters. Right. Hey, I appreciate being here. Thanks for the invitation. You know, uh, military pay is often in the news and something that people care about, but there's really a broad spectrum of military pay. Uh, number one, it's actually used for all eight of our uniformed services, public health and the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. They all use the same pay table, so it's important to them as well. But you know, there we could look at military pay as maybe three phases, kind of before, during, and after service. Before recruits walking around trying to figure out what they're going to do, they might happen upon a recruiter. The basic pay isn't really the draw. It's more of the benefits, and most people say they join for education, maybe healthcare, maybe security, and just heck to travel around the world. Um, so that's kind of the pay structure for those who aren't in yet. But once they come in, once they're on active duty and they're in uniform, serving in the Guard and Reserve too, of course, they start to learn the benefits and the pay and how important their paycheck really is as they try to make ends meet. So for the currently serving, pay is huge. And those pay raises tied to the employee, employee cost, employment cost index, sorry, it's important for them to understand uh, how those pay raises come about. And MOA watches that closely every year to make sure that the um, factors used for increased pay on the civilian sector is applied equally to the military uh, spectrum as it's supposed to be. So the currently serving people care about it a lot. Of course, retirees, as they get ready to get out, they're going to care about their retirement. And many of them don't understand how their retired pay actually keeps up with inflation. They don't know until, most of them don't know until they actually retire and get their paychecks and start to realize that COLA is how their pay raises are factored for pay for retired pay. Some people even still think that their pay raise will be tied to the pay table as it changes each year, but that's not the case. Once you retire, your pay raise will be determined by COLA. Right. So important for them too. So, you know, let's kind of take a step back. Why are we talking about it? And I kind of jokingly said at the beginning of this podcast about money. Yes, money's a big deal because you need money for many things. You need money to put a roof over your head and food in your belly and things like that. But money and pay is a big priority for many things. And why is MOA kind of a big advocate for it? Well, MOA is an organization that advocates on behalf of the military, specifically when we're talking about advocacy when it pertains to Capitol Hill. 
And many of our listeners may not understand that MOA advocates where the military can't do for themselves when we're talking to Congress or, you know, on that aspect. So I can think back to there are times that many of us and maybe yourself when you were in uniform, we used to grumble about, man, I don't understand why X, Y, or Z was happening to our paycheck. You know, why were they taking away this aspect or that aspect of our paycheck? So MOA is an example, an organization that would fight for percentages or a dollar for dollar, if you will. So that's why we're talking about this pay, right? We're, we're, we're talking about why it matters. So you brought up one specific aspect, COLA, right? Specifically how it relates to the retired aspect. So can we dig a little bit more into that, Dan? You're talking about COLA. What is COLA? Let's start there. Let's break it down. What is COLA and why is it important to the retired population? So it's a cost of living adjustment to keep up with inflation, and it's based off of the consumer price index. So as inflation goes up, we're trying to protect the purchasing power of a retired check. So if things and costs keep going up, they want to be able to have a retired fixed income for so many people for it to keep up with inflation. And so that's why it's important. And it's, again, determined by the the consumer price index. So it's important because a, a career of service for some of us, mine's 34 years, and there's a few that have done longer than that, and some serve 20 years and retire. But a career of service needs to be recognized as an important element of our all-volunteer force. And it comes back to why MOA is involved in all of this, is we are focused on making sure that our nation can keep an all-volunteer force, the right makeup, the right talents, and the right commitments in order to meet the challenges on the horizon. So it's all about the all-volunteer force and the the compensation and benefits necessary to maintain that. So I just retired. Yep. You retired not too long ago. And you're talking about the price index. And it's to help, you know, because we're no longer getting that increase of paycheck, right? So it's to match some to that one specific aspect, you know, because cost of living keeps going up. Things aren't going to stay the same price. And so MOA goes to the Hill and and tries to advocate for us. How does that work? How does MOA specifically advocate pay? Can you walk us through that aspect? Well, in a perfect world, the laws are already set to provide for COLA. The laws are already set to provide for pay raises. But in fiscal challenging times like we're facing right now, Congress is busy looking to find where the, the money can come from. Just like at home, it's the couch cushion, right? Where, where can I find a few dollars? Maybe it's in my ashtray in my car. But see, Congress does the same thing. And they look at, well, wait a minute. Do we really need to give them a raise this year? The retention's pretty good and the recruiting's pretty good. Why not just skip a pay raise and use that money for something else? We watch vigilantly those issues and any of those sound waves about what they might want to do to carve out either COLA, reduce it or eliminate it or not pay a pay raise or to put more of the costs of things like housing and healthcare on the backs of, of the service members. So we're there to make sure it's a level playing field and that the laws that are there should, uh, remain intact to support the pay and compensation. You know, just from a word from MOA, you know, MOA's resume critiques are for our premium and life members. 
So ensure you're ready for life after the military. So visit MOA.org and join for an upgrade or email our experts at transition at MOA.org for your critique. So Dan, we just got done talking about why MOA is an important organization. They advocate on the Hill. We're talking about pay because money matters. And COLA, we just got done talking about COLA and we're talking about, you know, finding that extra change, whether it's in the ashtray or in the couch cushions. But really, it's it's about making sure that we protect our military community, right? It's about protecting our pay because at the end of the day, it's an all-volunteer force and it's protecting, really, we gave a lot to get to the backside. And that's what we're trying to do. So how do we protect that pay? Why is it important? At the end of the day, why why are we trying to do this? I, I know that why we're trying to do it, but why are we trying to do this? You know, you, you raised a very valid point, and that is what are your capabilities and protocols when you're you in, when you're in uniform? I've commanded five times, and I think I did a pretty good job of taking care of my troops. But there's, to your point, so much I can't do. I'm not going to lobby Capitol Hill for the pay raise if I'm in uniform. You know, you get told what's going to happen from higher headquarters or from your leaders and your commanders. And so why we do this is that the people in the Pentagon are all good people. i got friends there at every level, and God love them. They work hard, and they do a lot for our nation. They're in uniform, too. But there's things they just can't do when Congress and the administration leverage their clout or their or their um, priorities um, and they uh, want to shortchange the troops. Just like when there's um, an emergency or like we've gone through with the pandemic, they want to prioritize the, the efforts and the money um, that the government has on emerging priorities. But we can't forget about the people who put their uniform on every day and go to work. I've always said, you know, on Christmas morning, there's a soldier or an airman or a sailor or somebody is putting on their uniform Christmas morning, and they're standing watch where they're supposed to be. They're doing what they're told to do. They ask no questions, and they perform admirably, and we can't forget that it is someone's job to take care of them. They're commanders, number one, but we're right there next to the commanders when it comes to benefits and compensation. You know, we had spoken before, you know, because I, I was able to do an internship and I've spent quite a few hours with MOA and MOA is a great organization and I believe in the advocacy that MOA does. But we had an offline conversation about why money matters, why pay is important. And there's some other aspects of just besides COLA and some other areas. But the role of Congress in all of this you know, why is why is Congress such a big piece of this pie? Why do we keep up bringing up Congress when it comes to money? Congress controls the purse. So they're the ones that have the authority to spend money and they work through an appropriations process. As I noted, if all the laws were left as is right now, um, and, and there are some laws we want to change. We want to make some improvements on some, some things. But when it comes to paying benefits, by and large, the laws that are enacted to protect the service member always come under attack. It's a quick find. It is if they can reduce an outlay on the on behalf of the troops, 
that's almost an instant uh, influx of cash for Congress, who may see an important priority that's more important than paying the troops. Hard to imagine that it actually happens this way, but it does. And we stay plugged in with Congress to make sure they hear from us if they have any designs on shortchanging the troops. Now, when you say shortchanging, it sounds like a bad thing. And I kind of find it hard to believe that they're really trying to shortchange us. What do you really mean by that? Uh, I have a good example. Um, actually, a war- Secretary of Defense a few years ago had offered up that we didn't need to make a pay raise in, a- in accordance with the Employment Cost Index. He wanted to offer, uh, get Congress to support a lesser pay raise. His rationale was, we need that money to modernize the military. And modernizing means getting better weapons and better systems. Those same people will benefit but it's gonna to have to come at some of their expense by giving them a lesser pay raise. And his argument was, in addition to they're gonna get the benefit of the better equipment, is the recruiting rates are good. We don't need to raise the pay because the recruits are coming in anyway. And our point to Congress was, and we won this fight, our point to Congress was, it's not about the recruits. It's about those who are currently serving in uniform today. They will recognize a shorter pay pay raise. They will possibly vote with their feet. It'll undermine everything you're trying to do if this experience walks out the door. So Congress totally got it and totally arranged for the ECI pay raise to take place. The very next year, same Secretary of Defense wanted to keep the pay raise the same as it was last year. And we informed his staff and Congress It's not about last year's pay raise. It's about the employment cost index. You don't base it off of what you gave them last year. We've set that track right two years in a row. And since then, it's about four or five years. We've been pretty successful with getting an ECI without contest. You know, it always blows my mind when we get to this every single year about money and pay raise. We are asked, we, the military, is asked to do so much with so little. And it's in its pl- the burden is placed on the same people and the same families. And, you know, I've said this before in my previous job, in the previous podcast that I've hosted, that it's not just the service member that serves, it's the military families. They are giving time and time again. And yet we don't give our military families what they truly need. And it's not just the pay, it's all the services that come with the pay. It's the mental health support, it's the it's the military care, it's all of that that comes with it, right? And we're not asking for a lot, I feel. And so it, I think it's important when we have organizations like MOA that can advocate for our military families to go to Capitol Hill to advocate for us for that few percentage of pay raise. Because let's be honest, the rest of the world is increasing. Cost is still going up. The gallon of milk is still increasing. And when your military is asked to do so much to continuously kick out the door to go on deployments and field operations, and the cost of milk is still increasing, you know, there's a, dis, you know, there's a difference. Um, and we've got to be able to take care of our families. Uh, so I think it's important that we do that. You know, there's a a small portion of this conversation that we had before that I want to address, and it it does affect a small portion of our military community, and that's the dual military. 
while that is a small portion of our military, it does exist. And that is a small portion of the military pay. And what am I talking about, Olivia? There's always been this argument about the dual military. And in that dual military, there's a compensation that exists. Both military members have their own compensation. And that means each side has their own compensation to allowance of housing and substance. And there's always this talk of where it goes back to how do we take away? How do we reduce? And so there's this always this talk about, well, let's take away one of the military members housing cost, which ignites this fire. And, you know, I used to be dual military and that always would fire me up and anybody else that was in that situation. And so how does that affect this conversation when it comes to military pay? Well, that's a great point. It's another example of where Congress might be rooting around to find money. And there are people on the Hill, uh, staffers, who bring this up and say, if you look at Washington, D.C., and you have two officers married to each other, they're getting six, seven, eight thousand dollars a month in housing allowance. And they're and they're living in the same home. It's obscene. It's too much money. But we've always argued and, and this has carried the day, and I think it will always carry the day. If we were any other organization or a company, and I said, Olivia, we're thinking about hiring you, but I got a couple of questions. Are you married? Number two, how much does your spouse make? Because I'm going to use that to factor in what I pay you. That's exactly what happened. The DOD and the Congress knows what two lieutenant colonels make. And, and they were working hard to have one of them forego their basic housing allowance. And that would have, that would have registered in the high billions. Uh, but no, you can't make those decisions on who you're married to and where, where you might be living matters. But you can't create a system where, well, if you have two different homes, you get your allowance, but you have to prove you live far away. They had some really... Um, unreasonable um, expectations with that cancellation of one BAH. Which is a good segue to why it's important. You should be represented and add your voice to 350,000 military officers, MOA members supporting efforts to protect your earned pay and benefits now and into retirement. Go to moa.org slash join to sign up and receive vital information in the weekly newsletter that will help your family and offer a guide to healthcare and financial well-being. So be sure to check out MOA. So Dan, this has been a great conversation about why military pay matters to our military community and why it's important that we continuously have this conversation because while we're having this conversation now, you know, this is, you know, late in 2021. But this conversation is going to always occur. It could be 2022, 2023, and we're still going to have this conversation because it's an ongoing conversation because money matters yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and even years from now. So as we continuously have this conversation, what are uh, what's another point about why military pay continues to be important to MOA? Well, I think when you add all of the challenges of service, whether it's the deployments, whether it's the loss, the human loss, uh, the injuries, the uh, medically retired because they, they've got injured or injured in combat, um, you've got surviving spouses um, um, who've lost a loved one, 
all of those functions happen as a result of the compensation and benefits system. And it, it's just, it's a tight network that we have to maintain to make sure we're taking care of the troops uh, beyond just their duty and their uniforms and having the right equipment. And so MOA cares dearly about every person who's serving right now. And most of us have served careers and we know what sacrifice means. And less than 20% of Congress has military experience and it's up to us to keep them informed on what these issues really mean. Things like BAH, things like housing, things like you know military pay and benefits and retirements. Many of them don't have that full picture and it's up to us to keep that message alive. So for you, Dan, why was MOA your choice? Why did you decide to A, join MOA and eventually work for MOA? Well, thank you for asking. I, I've got a personal situation and many people do. Um, I was a member, a uh, basic member, but in 2007, I was getting ready to go to Iraq for a year. And that was, by the way, one of the worst years um, for the deaths and injuries in Iraq. And while I was in the green zone and went outside the wire a few times, I wasn't in the very front line kicking down doors and shooting bad guys. Uh, but I was all over the region um, for my job. But it dawned on me that I might not come home. And if I'm not going to come home, you know, most of us did the letters. We did the special box that, you know, in case of open type of thing. And I wanted to make sure my wife had a place she can call and get help. We watched, my wife and I watched her father pass away. He was a retired chief master sergeant. The base nearby took care of her, the widow, my mother-in-law, for three months on end. But after a while, that service wanes. And after a while, you can't get answers on certain questions because they don't really do that. MOA has the most robust capability on uh, networking and on getting answers to questions from our staff, whether it be advocacy, whether it be a benefits, benefits question. And I wanted my wife to have a place to call. Thankfully, I came home um, and I'm so glad I became a life member because that's never going to be on my mind. Because if you're a life member, your life membership transfers to your surviving spouse. My wife, if something happens to me, she will be a life member of MOAA. You know, Dan, I appreciate having this conversation with you because it's important. And thanks for sharing why MOA is important to you. And, you know, I will say that in my own personal choice, I felt like MOA was a family from the day one that I walked in through the doors as a as an intern. And I knew it was the right choice to, to do podcasting with MOA. So I'm glad that I'm back here as a team member. So thanks for everything that MOA continues to do for our military community. Glad that I'm here. Glad that we can podcast. And thanks for spending the afternoon and uh, sharing the information to our military community. So thanks, Dan, for sharing your time. Thank you. And thank you for stepping into this role because we really need to get more modern and more current. And this is just another way to do it. And we're so happy to have you on board. So thank you. No, thank you. Looking forward to continuing the conversation and be sure to tune in to the next Never Stop Serving podcast. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the host and guests and do not necessarily reflect official policies or positions of the Military Officers Association of America.